Today on The Journey. If you were to look at the news, there's hardcore feminists and organizations that now celebrate abortion as a woman's so-called reproductive right. But the reality is, behind the scenes, the puppeteering has all been because of men. Sometimes freedom can become bondage. A legal right can be very wrong. And the highly valued can be callously discarded. Ron Moore and special guest Brian Fisher are here to examine those spiritual inconsistencies as they relate to the sin of abortion. First, please note the comforting devotional we'd like to send you. It's titled Refuge, and in its 90 pages, you'll discover the path to God's sheltering presence. It's available on our website at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. And before we begin, a brief programming note. On today's broadcast, you'll hear Online for Life, referenced by Ron and Brian Fisher. Brian and the resources he talks about are now available at Human Coalition, which is found at humancoalition.org. So when you hear Online for Life, think and visit Human Coalition. That's all one word, humancoalition.org. Now here's Ron to introduce his special guest for a discussion titled, The Great Contradiction on the Journey. It's a privilege for me to have here today Brian Fisher, who is the CEO and president of Online for Life. It's a ministry that sees the issue of abortion as a spiritual issue, ministering to the individual one life at a time. And I like, Brian, what you say, serving the individual throughout the whole process of keeping the child and then helping them be able to have the things they need to make some decisions about the life of that child. As a pastor, there are a lot of things that are on a pastor's plate. And we know that it's Jesus Christ primarily that changes the heart and transforms the heart. So talk to pastors about the importance of that within this issue of sanctity of life and speak to pastors about how they could partner with Online for Life, how you would like to partner with them and minister with them because there are a lot of pastors, they feel alone in these issues and it's a big issue for their church to take on. So talk about the need for that spiritual transformation and then the partnership that you guys can provide. Last year, I was wrestling through some things in my prayer time and To that point, Online for Life had not been purposefully engaging or serving the local church or the church nationwide. We were doing our work primarily with pregnancy centers. We weren't ignoring the church, but quite honestly, I wasn't looking at the church as a necessary support for the abortion issue because, at least in the Protestant world, it's fairly rare to find churches who will speak about abortion or provide post-abortive counseling or be involved in some way. The chapel, the journey, very radically different from most Protestant organizations. And yet the Lord began to really work on our hearts. And at some Mm -hmm. point, he spoke to us very clearly in a still small voice saying, who are you to determine the institution through which I do my work? And that was the very clear message. And at that point, we said, we're going to figure out how to serve the church. And through the last year, Ron, I think I personally have come to grips, as have the other key leaders at Online for Life, that that's exactly right. The Lord has ordained his church to be the hands and feet of the gospel. And instead of pointing fingers 
saying, well, the Protestant church has done this or that or the other thing and not addressing the abortion issue. Let's instead empower and encourage and serve and support the local church. And so God has opened up a tremendous number of doors for us to begin to engage pastors and church leaders across the country. My perspective is that many pastors struggle with dealing with abortion in their church for a couple key reasons. The first is that they view abortion as a political issue. So we basically make the case saying, look, there's 3,500 children a day that lose their lives to abortion in America. There are literally tens of millions of parents who have aborted a child, and they're sitting in your pews. Let's start the conversation by offering the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to that group. Let's be intentional because pastor, they're suffering and they need the church to remind them of the grace and the healing of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that message has been extremely well received. For those pastors that view abortion as a political issue, we say, well, look, let's reframe that. Let's talk about the fact that it is really a spiritual issue with political ramifications And let's see if we can have a conversation about how to treat it as such. Instead of making it a Republican-Democrat thing, let's just talk about the decision that a woman makes to take the life of her child and how the church can be involved in unwinding that. And that's been very well received. So I think from our standpoint, we started a division called Multiply Life, multiplylife.com. And we just have three folks in that area right now. We have a pro-life apologist and we have two pastors. And their job is to basically serve the local church. They engage with churches and church conferences and pastors and lay groups. And we are providing materials, videos. We're building a curriculum to encourage the church to initially provide that hope and healing through Christ. And then let's talk about how we can end abortion city by city. And I'm incredibly pleased to tell you that they're being very well received. And Ron, really one of the most exciting things is Reverend Dean Nelson, who's on our staff, is one of the leading African-American pastors on this issue in the nation. And he's on with us full time now. And so he is making great inroads with African-American and Hispanic churches on this issue. And of course, abortion disproportionately impacts those communities. And he is being very well received. We are ecstatic about what we see going on in the church on this issue. That's great. Brian, you're doing a lot of work online. You're doing a lot of work now speaking across the country and also writing. And we want to talk about a book you have written called Abortion, The Ultimate Exploitation of Women. Now, it's interesting because we often think of abortion as this equality thing, right, Right. for women. That's how it's promoted. And yet the ultimate exploitation of women, and I think the women listening – are going to be surprised, maybe, to hear you say that this is really a men's issue. Yes. Uh, On your book, you say men started it, men oppress with it, and men can end it. That's kind of a provocative message. Flesh that out for us a little bit. Well, the book was a very personal journey for me because I had assumed, like I think most of us, after being culturally conditioned, that abortion even though I'm pro-life, was still something that really genuinely empowered women. It gave them choice, right? It gave them control over their bodies. And as I researched the history of abortion in America, I was not able to find women involved with the promotion, legalization, and ongoing Hmm. perpetuation of abortion. It has been and continues to be a spiritual condition promoted primarily by men. Now, 
if you were to look at the news, there's hardcore feminists and organizations that now celebrate abortion as a woman's so-called reproductive right. But the reality is behind the scenes, the puppeteering has all been because of men. And there's two primary drivers of that. The first was eugenics. And eugenics is basically a term that means weeding out so-called inferior races in favor of other races. And unfortunately, in America's history, that's almost always related to African Americans. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the documented, well-documented, written-down history of abortion in America, there is a long history of eugenics, racism, driving the abortion agenda. There are pockets of extremely wealthy white men who over the last 100, 150 years were driving this agenda and did so successfully. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that the Supreme Court justices who validated abortion into law in 1973 were all male. Mm -hmm. So eugenics is a massive agenda that is working because over 80% of Planned Parenthoods are located in minority communities and the abortion epidemic in the black community is simply atrocious. And so their agenda has been successful. The other major agenda for men is because abortion was the last backstop that protected women against sexually promiscuous men. So a man who was engaged in a lifestyle where he was using women for his own pleasure always had this fear of getting someone into an unplanned pregnancy situation and then being responsible for that pregnancy. Well, the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973 basically said men... You don't have no responsibility, none, zero. You have no legal right or responsibility mm -hmm. to that pregnancy. And so although the woman's role of a mother starts at conception, legally, the man's role of a parent starts at birth. Mm -hmm. And so what is that? That's carte blanche for men who want to continue to practice their sexually active ways. And so today, especially, that's what we see happening. Matter of fact, you can read comments and blogs online of men who bemoan the abortion restrictions that are being put forth in different states because they're saying, man, this is seriously going to curb my sex life. Hmm. And those hmm. two things have combined to create a culture of death that serves men, not women. Brian, you argue in the book that far from the right to abortion being an empowering issue for women, it actually pushes them further from gender equality and the empowerment they really desire. Yes, it widens the gender gap, not decreases it, and it enslaves women. It does not empower them. The title of the book, Abortion, the Ultimate Exploitation of Women, is actually not my title. One of the early feminists actually coined the phrase, the ultimate exploitation of women. And the was, early feminists were always against abortion. They were. If you look at Alice Paul, who was the author mm -hmm. of that quote, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and that group that were fighting for the right to vote, mm -hmm. They were all ardently against abortion because they understood in that time period that abortion was bad for women. Any time that we take innocent life, born or unborn, we don't escape that unscathed. The same thing is true with women. Abortion has been linked to conditions like depression, suicide, major problems with other pregnancies, including premature birth of subsequent children siblings wrestling with emotional and relational issues, divorce, substance abuse, alcoholism, spousal abuse, child abuse. In the book, I document 15 very serious relational, emotional, physical conditions that are tied to abortion. This is why I make the argument that if we want to stem divorce, 
let's stop abortion. If we want to stem child abuse, stop abortion. Well, why? Because violence breeds violence. And so when we're convincing women that taking the life of their child is good for them, and then they end up suffering in extreme ways, well, you'd have to look at them and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It would be better to protect both woman and child from death because you're really protecting them both, one obviously from a fatality, the other one from a lifetime of mm-hmm. grief and shame and challenge physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so, you know, men sit back and we say, well, it's a woman's issue. We're going to let them deal with it. No, that's not our role. Our role is to stand up, be providers, be protectors, and to stand in the gap and to clearly uncover the truth that abortion is a degrading enslavement of women. Scripture says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's also going to reap. And we've already said that we always need to frame this conversation with grace and forgiveness. At the same time, we do speak the truth that abortion is a sin and taking a human life at any level of development that there are going to be consequences for that. It's tragic. I've had the privilege and the honor of serving and working with dozens of folks who have had abortions. And I don't want to be careful on how I say this. Jeff Bradford, who is a member of our team who you've met and has been with us since the beginning, is post-abortive. And his story is chronicled in the book, and there's other chronicles of that story online. He has received full forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And the guilt and shame for that sin is gone. The pain of that decision is not gone. And he and Tricia, his beautiful wife, have four wonderful children, but they live every day with the knowledge that there should be a fifth child and oldest daughter Mm -hmm. that they don't have. And as much as he would tell you that he feels the redemption and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and it is 100% real, That does not mean that he hasn't suffered because of that decision Mm -hmm. and continues to suffer and will suffer. It's not because God hasn't healed him because he has. It's because there are consequences to those actions. And my heart breaks for him and for the women and the men that I deal with on a regular basis who would do anything, Ron, to go back in time and make a different decision and have that child be here today and being rescued from what they have suffered because of that decision. So no, we don't escape it. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that abortion is the key catalyst of the American family being ripped from its moorings in America. I think we sanitize abortion and we want to look at it and say, well, you know, it's a political issue or it's something that happens in abstraction because it's silent and it's in a back room somewhere and we don't see it. But I'm telling you, the manifestations of killing 56 million American children Every single one of us is evidencing that and are experiencing that some way, either because we know people who are post-abortive and are suffering or because, frankly, we're missing one-sixth of the United States population. And what would the positive impact have been of those people? So I deal with lots of different pastors and occasionally say, well, abortion is important, but we have other issues. And my response is always to say, help me understand what you just said. Because I can defend fairly easily that abortion is the issue of our day, and anything that else we might discuss is related to it. And when we have that discussion, oftentimes it's an eye-opening experience, as it was for me through mm-hmm. the process of me getting educated, just how vital it is that we are working diligently as a body to end this slaughter. 
I'm speaking with Brian Fisher, who leads a great organization, a great ministry online for life. I encourage you to go check out onlineforlife.org and learn about that ministry. And we're talking about a book that Brian has written, Abortion, the Ultimate Exploitation of Women. And again, we encourage you to get that book. You know, the argument you hear all the time is abortion is a women's issue. A woman has a right to her body. You argue that abortion impacts everyone, and it impacts the man. And sometimes the man gets left out. Talk about that. I was doing a radio interview in Dallas on a national show similar to this, and we were talking about the book, and it was a call-in show. And the second caller was a young man from North Carolina. And he said, my name is so-and-so, and I'm listening to you talk, and three weeks ago, I convinced my girlfriend to get an abortion. And he said, I'm sitting here three weeks later listening to you, recognizing that I've made a tragic and terrible mistake. And we talked for a few minutes on the phone, and we talked about Christ's forgiveness. And to be honest, it was almost hollow for me to try to say those words because the pain was so fresh and so visceral. And I recognized that he has years ahead of him to deal with that pain and that decision that he's made. Mm -hmm. So the danger of saying that abortion is a women's issue is one, not recognizing, obviously, that there's always a father involved in the creation of a brand new baby, but that men and women both suffer as a result of abortion. Women tend to suffer emotionally, relationally, physically. Men tend to suppress the abortion, but that pain comes out. This is mm -hmm. where the studies that I cite in the book have to do with spousal and child abuse, meaning the violence that a man encourages or coerces for an abortion begets more violence. And so oftentimes, whether it's anger issues, whether or not it's depression, whether or not it's physical abuse, relational abuse, verbal abuse, the man tends to come out aggressively. And oftentimes the man doesn't recognize it. And it can take a long time and some serious counseling for the man to understand that he is wired to protect. And when instead he turns that on its head and kills, mm -hmm that there are deep ramifications to that. And Ron, I think there's an enormous opportunity in our culture today because virtually all the post-abortive healing work, those ministries that are going on are geared towards women. There's virtually nothing available for men. And Jeff is beginning to try to lead that charge as part of his work at Online for mm -hmm. Life because he recognizes as a post-abortive man the ramifications that have been in his life and he wants that same healing and hope of Christ to be extended to men. This, again, is where the church can help reframe this and say, look, it takes a man and a woman to create a brand new child, and both a man and a woman are involved, whether actively or passively, in the destruction of that child. Therefore, mm -hmm. both men and women suffer because mm -hmm. of that act, and therefore the church should be helping both. And so from my standpoint, and I make the case in the book that I think – the fastest way to end abortion in America is for post-abortive men to stand up and to confess that sin, to receive the healing of Jesus Christ, and then to share the fact that if they had to do it over again, they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. It was a mistake, and they make a commitment going forward to protect women and children mm -hmm. across this country. Brian, we've talked about the spiritual aspect of abortion, and we both agree it's a spiritual issue. 
And yet our country has laws regarding that. And one of the things you unpack in your book are the two conflicting laws. You know, when you get away from truth, when you tell a lie, you really got to work hard because it's going to come out sooner or later. So you got to really work hard with your story. Well, when you get away from the truth of God's word, you're going to make these laws that seem so quote unquote right at the time, and yet they conflict. So we got two laws on the books right now. Talk about Roe versus Wade on one hand, and then Lacey and Connor's law on the other hand. Yeah, and to set the stage, it's important for all of us to understand that America is one of the most permissive countries in the world in terms of its abortion laws. So there are four countries that lead the way, and I hesitate to use that phrase, but are the most permissive, meaning allow abortions as easily as possible. United States and Canada, communist China, North Korea. So America not, not a good uh, not group a good mix. To be in, yeah. No. America has basically as permissive abortion policies as two of the most brutal communist regimes in the world. So let's set the stage with that. In 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed by nine men, seven of them voted for its passage, we entered into a brand new arena where they basically struck down all of the state's restrictions against abortion and federally made it legal across the board. And we need to be reminded today that all 50 states still allow abortion up to 20 weeks. And there's only three states that actually prohibit it in the third trimester. And virtually every state that has any restrictions have to make exceptions for the so-called health of the mother. So while I celebrate the advances that have been made at the state level since Roe v. Wade, Mm -hmm. it's important to understand that we remain one of the most permissive countries in the world at aborting our children. So Roe v. Wade made it legal in all 50 states and struck down state laws. There's an irony here because George W. Bush passed a law called Lacey and Connors Law in the 2000s. And folks might remember there was a very tragic case where Scott Peterson killed his wife and dumped her body in the San Francisco Bay and her body washed up. And a few days later, the body of their unborn son, Connor, washed up to shore. And Scott Peterson was charged with double homicide. You say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense, because under current law, Lacey could have aborted the same child, and we would have celebrated it as a woman's right, but her husband murdered her and her child and got charged with the son's murder. And Bush passed a law called Lacey and Connor's Law, which protects the unborn at any stage of development from acts of violence. I think it's some 60 acts of violence are noted there, meaning that somebody can't harm a pregnant woman or her child without being arrested for that crime. But there's a specific exemption in Lacey and Connor's law for abortion. So what does that mean? That means that we're protecting the unborn at any stage of development from acts of violence from somebody else. But if the mother chooses to fatally harm the child, it's celebrated as a woman's right. Mm -hmm. So one law... Roe v. Wade recognizes the unborn as basically worth nothing. Another federal law on the same books Hmm. recognizes the child as being extremely valuable, even priceless, unless the mother takes the life of the child. Morally, ethically, it's completely disjointed. John Kerry, Hmm. no bastion of conservatism, actually acknowledged that there's a problem with the law because one law devalues the unborn child and another law says the unborn child has value, which is it? Again, the resources mentioned in today's discussion are currently found at humancoalition.org. And please stay with us for a preview of our next time together. Are you looking for a place to shelter from life's inevitable storms? Is your heart desperate for a calm harbor to rest? Would you like to find safety and peace of mind where neither seems possible? 
Well, the place where those are discovered is described in Ron Moore's encouraging devotional titled Refuge. Within its 90 pages, God's promises of comfort, protection, and healing will revive your spirit. Refuge is yours for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's rejoin Ron and Brian for a preview of our next broadcast. Unfortunately, men have a history of using women. And abortion today is really just another sophisticated tool. But it's so insidious, Ron, because men have been very smart. They've gotten women to celebrate it. We hope you can join us for that discussion next time. And please remember that Ron's devotional booklet, Refuge, is yours for a donation of any amount. Whether dark clouds are gathering on the horizon or they're directly overhead, Refuge offers shelter from the storm. You can get it online at ronmore.org or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Also, we invite Pittsburgh area listeners to visit our church website at BibleChapel.org. There you'll find information about our area campuses and their ministries. They're located in Robinson, Rostraver, South Hills, Washington, and Wilkinsburg. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron Moore and Brian Fisher next time as we walk together on the journey.